We continue our series, All of Me, we've been talking about over the last few weeks of kind of getting started with your week. And uh, even this past week, I walked into the restaurant, to a restaurant with my family, and we were there together and um, saw someone from church who heard one of the messages that we talked about being physically fit and diet and all that. And as I walked in, you could see just the guilt on their face of being in this perfect establishment. And so I was just like, hey... I'm here just double-checking on you, making sure that you're eating right and all that stuff. And obviously, I've got my entire family with me, so you know that that's not true. And, and uh, what I wanted to say was, hey, I'm here with my family. We're checking this out, and I'm giving out yellow cards. If you don't eat right, you're going to get a yellow card. And if I catch you twice, you get a red card, and you have to sit in time out and eat vegetables until you appropriately eat right. But uh, it's just a fun time. I'm glad that you're enjoying the series and learning from it. And today, we're going to be thinking about relationships. Without relationships, we are alone. And alone is alone without someone. So this morning, I want us to kind of dig into that just a little bit. And what does it mean for us to be alone? We have to have relationships. And so over the last week or so, as I've been thinking about this message and what does it mean for us to be alone, one of the songs just, again, I'm not necessarily a fan of this group or it's not something I listen to all the time, but a song kind of came to mind over and over and over again. And so I wanted us to just to take a moment, let's listen to this song and think about what is it like to be alone, to not have anyone, and um, that maybe you've even been to that place where you've, you've been alone, you've been even in a crowd of people, and you feel like, hey, no one knows me, no one even recognizes that I'm here. And um, even recently, over the last few years, there have been articles that pop up in the newspaper on the internet that talk about some people that have maybe even passed away, and there's no one has recognized that they've even been gone after a few days or a few weeks or even a few months. And what would that be like to be entirely alone and not have community or have someone around you looking in and thinking about you in that way? So as this song plays, why don't you just kind of in your mind follow along with the story. up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it for all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near, look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care, all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came, Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved, all the lonely people were doomed. 
Everybody's excited. It's a great song, but great truths. Imagine being a part of a place. So here's this lady. She's there at the church, and she has her face by the jar. An interesting insight is that as we come into church, what do we put face do we put on whenever people ask us how we're doing? And so here's someone who's constantly in church. And is there when every time when the doorbell rings, when someone comes in and she puts on the face that everything is okay. And for us to think about how many times in life do we put on the face that we think that people want to see from us? How many times do we do work and we constantly do it over and over and over again and wanting and seeking recognition and no one recognizes what we're doing? You recently, Cigna Health and UCLA got together and they did a study on loneliness. And through this study, they found that over 50% of Americans state that they are alone or they are lonely. They Literally, they could be at work, they could go to school, but they sense that they're alone. And all of those 50%, even more 50% of them, feel like no one knows them. That they say that they have friends, but even in those friendships that no one truly knows them. And so maybe you've been to that place where, hey, someone knows your name, but they don't truly know you. And so what is that look like for us. And then also as a part of this study, they found out not only are people lonely and it feels like no one knows them, but that more than 40% of them have a sense that they're entirely isolated, that they could be gone and no one would miss them. The depths of what that would feel like. Now, some of us are extroverts and some of us are introverts and we kind of get that kind of a thing. But um, the joke at our house is, If there ever came a time like what I only need is I only need an iPad, a coffee cup, and a couple of utensils because I'm an extrovert. All right, y'all get that? So all I don't, it's just just this kind of a thing for us in our house like, hey, Dad, if you you don't need anything else but just an iPad just to kind of to read or to do whatever and to have a cup and just kind of, you're as an introvert, that's kind of how you go. And then my wife is the complete opposite of that. She's the other side of an introvert. She's an extreme extrovert. Research also shows that one of the things that we have is we have a capacity for five friends. If you have take your iPhones out or your Samsungs out or whatever you've got, if you're going to pull that out of your pocket and look at it, that the people that you talk to, that you text or contact with over a week, that in reaction, those will probably be 4.1 or five friends that you constantly talk to. And if you're married, that means you have four friends because the assumption is that your spouse is one of your friends that you're going to talk to. And so that communication and that relationship that you have. And so that we have these five friends that we do life on a deeper level with. And then there's 15 and 50 and 150 so that whenever you go to HEB or, or Walmart, that somewhere if someone's number 151 or 152, they've kind of, you've kind of forgotten who they are. And so these, the ability and capacity that we have for friendships. Now, speaking of phones, some of you, we have these things, and it's easy and convenient for us to be able to pull them out and to feel like we have relationships because if you pull out your phone and you pull up your Facebook or Instagram or something, some of you have more than 150 friends. And so you've got tons of friends. But through all of this connectivity and ability to communicate, our communication level and our intimacy level is actually dropping. And so even with the age of technology, our friendships aren't growing but are actually 
dwindling. And so the researchers are showing us that even through all of this connectivity that we think that we have more friendships and we think that we have more people, but in our true relationships with people, that those are dwindling. And some of the things that are dwindling because of technology is our intimacy with one another. So an easy way to, to think of intimacy is this, is into me see. That as we do relationships with people, that as we get to know them, as we spend time with them, that we kind of pull back the curtain of our hearts, we pull back the curtain of our minds, we pull back the curtain of our dreams, and we allow people to look into who we are and begin to, begin to see the core values, to begin to see who we are. And so there's an intimacy that develops. And so, But through phones, we have this ability, and through technology, we have this ability to filter our lives and to put forth an image of who we want people to be. And so we're seeing more and more that instead of developing true, good friendships, is that we're filtering our friendships and keeping people at bay, and so that the intimacy and the deep level of friendships are not growing because of the ease of communication, but are actually dwindling. Another thing that we're seeing because of the use of technology is not only a loss of intimacy, but a distraction level. You've maybe seen it. You've gone into a restaurant. You've gone into some place, and there's a family of two or four or five, and they're all together, and there's food around or whatever, and most of them are on their phones. You ever seen this? And so there's a distraction level. Or maybe you've even been there. You've been in conversation with someone, and you're talking to them, and you're about to that point where you're, gonna, you're talking about something important, and the phone buzzes or the phone rings, and so immediately what do we do? We pick it up. We're a distracted culture because of the distractions of the ease of communications, it's actually keeping us from relationships on a deep level because at that moment, all of a sudden, the trust in the wall goes back up because we're telling someone that they're not as important as the other person on that phone or that piece of technology. And so we have a loss of intimacy. There's a moment in, in a spirit of distraction. And then also it's actually impacting our emotional and our mental health. That depression is growing rapidly within our culture and then again, as research has studied, why is this happening? It's a social media-driven thing. It's because we can filter our world, and there's a thing called FOMO, the fear of missing out. And if the reason that we grab the phone, the reason that in a moment of boredom, in a moment where nothing else is out here, we grab this is because we have a fear of missing out on the most recent news, the most recent Instagram, the most recent Snapchat, the most recent whatever. And so we're constantly reaching for it. So not only are we distracted, but it's driving us and it's driving our moods into depression. And so that we're seeing that young people are, because of the filter life, because of bullying, because of all of this, that are actually driving further and further into depression, that it's harder to get out of it because of the addiction level and what happens in the brain through all the, the communication and everything that happens in those moments. And so the ease of communication has increased, but not the level and depths of the intimacy and the quality of our relationships. And so it's easy for us, I think, to understand that we can be in, even in a crowded room like this and have a sense that no one truly knows us. They may know our name, but they don't truly know us because we're all distracted. We're going to go from this place to that place, and we're looking for, and we live a life that's a filtered life, not a life of true, deep friendships. And again, take your phone and look at who are the top four or five people that you're doing life with and ask yourself the question, how well do they truly know me? Do they truly know who the real Chris is? Do they truly know who the real 
John is they really know who the true Sally is. Do you have you invested the time in those relationships to have friendships on the level that God would have us want and desire and to experience in life? So we think about this idea. I want you to also think about in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Here is um, the author of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon, and King Solomon is one of the the wisest men of the world throughout. And so here's a guy who had everything at his disposal, everything in the world has, with money and, and power and all that. And so he's constantly through the book of Ecclesiastes, he's giving words of wisdom to those around him. And, he, and, and sometimes the best things that we teach are out of experience where we've done something wrong, right? You, you talk about things and as parents, the reasons that some of the things that we teach our children is like, because listen, I've walked down that path. You don't want to walk down that path. And so wisdom comes from that. And so here, King Solomon is giving wisdom to those around, and he's talking about relationships. But he also talks about money, and one of the things that he talks about money is that we have a desire to bring meaning and purpose and and meaning and purpose to our life. And so, as we're pursuing meaning and purpose to our life, we pursue money, and so and wealth. And so, when you get to that, and you think that you've attained that certain level of wealth, and you think that you've attained that certain level of money, you kind of reach in and grab it, and immediately it's gone. And he talks about it being chasing after the wind, that we chase, our natural tendency is to chase after things that we think will bring us security, that will bring us worth and will bring us value. And so we pursue wealth, and that moment that we think that we've attained it, we grab it, that it's not truly giving us purpose and meaning, but it's chasing after the wind, that we're chasing after relationships, that we're chasing after whatever it is that you're pursuing that you think will bring great value and worth. And so here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the author, King Solomon, is talking about relationships. And he said, you can pursue all kinds of different relationships, but what I want you to grasp is this is what a healthy friendship looks like. So as you think about your friendships, these are the characteristics of what true friends are. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you've been married, maybe some of you have been to a wedding, and at these weddings, one of the verses they read is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and they're talking about this friendship and this relationship that happens. Because the assumption is, is that two that are standing together, saying that they want to do life together for a long time, is that they're going to pursue a friendship. And so as we read this verse together in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, here's the idea that King Solomon is giving us, is here are some healthy characteristics for us. As we want to grow in our relationships, we don't want to have true friendships These are the characteristics of those friendships. The first thing in verse 9 is this. Two are better than one. Now, listen, Becky and I and my wife, we are two polar opposite people. Now, on a Sunday morning when Becky comes to church, if you could see the battery on her back, with every person that she sees, the battery goes up. She is charged up. And so by the time that church would be over, you know, she'd get here at 9-something and she'd leave here at noon, her battery's overcharged and she's got a little pack and she could give some of you like little packs of energy to go because she's leaving and she's going hey where are we going who are we hanging out with what are we doing tonight what time's the party at our place and so she's like fired up to continue to to do this and so she is ready to go now on the other end now i love people but i'm natural introvert and so if you were to see my battery on my back every conversation every hug everything i love it but also at the same time my battery's going whoop whoop And so by the end of the day, my battery is gone. And so after lunch, I'm like trying to get home so I can take a nap while the Cowboys lose. 
And so two are better than one because there's moments where I have been forced to go do some things and be a part of some things because my party animal wants to go to the next thing. And so she's dragging me and kicking me, and I'm kicking and screaming. And I get there, and like, yeah, that was awesome. But then there's also some times that I've forced her, and we've had some beautiful naps. And it is a great thing, the polar opposite of two, that two are better than one on the journey together because we have a good return for our labor. Each one of us have different skill sets. Each one of us have different talents. Each one of us have different um, things that drive us and motivate us. And through that, the two are better than one. And we can experience more out of life together when the two of us are going together. The second thing that you see in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10, we see not only are two better than one, it's good to have friends and to, to do life together. But there's going to come moments where you trip and you fall. In verse 10, it says, if either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. There's going to be moments in our journey of life where you're going to trip and fall. That in your walk with Jesus that you think everything is good and you've got it all together and you think, hey, life is perfect and you're going to trip and you're going to fall. The beauty of a true friend is they are there with you. Sometimes... If you're doing friendship, sometimes your friends can actually keep you from falling. They can point out, hey, there's a little yellow thing there. Don't trip over that. Hey, there's a crack in the, in, the, in the floor. Don't trip over that. And they can spot it, and you can miss it. Sometimes we just kind of do our own thing, and we trip and a fall. And a true friend comes to our rescue, helps us up. And then what else do they do? They check to see if we're injured. They check to see, hey, did you skin your knee? Do you need more care than just being helped up? And so, again, two are better than one along the journey because there's going to come times where we make mistakes. The longer that we live, the more we realize that we are an imperfect people and that we are in need of grace and that we are in need of people that in those moments when we trip and we fall, that someone can run to our aid and help us up and lift us so that we can continue to walk again. But it continues on. It says, but pity the one who has no one that can help them up that thinks that they can do life in their own wisdom, that thinks they can do life in their own strength, that thinks they can do life in their own. I don't need anybody else. I've got enough money. I've got enough strength. I've got enough wisdom. I've got a good job. I've got whatever. And finds out, wakes up, they fall, and then they realize in the fall that no one is running to them because they've pushed everyone away. Two is better than one. The other thing that, King Solomon tells us about relationships. Not only is two better than one, not only do we need someone to help us up, but there are going to come times in life when we not just fall, but there are seasons of winter, dark winter nights. Have you ever been up north and when it's really cold and when it's really dark, it is dark, dark is dark and cold is cold. And I don't know about your journey and your life journey, but I think that some of you, as you think about this idea of that seasons of life, some are dark and cold, that you've walked through some of those seasons that are dark and cold, and you wish that there could be warmth. You wish that day was coming. You wish that someone was with you. And so here the author, Solomon, gives an image for his audience, is that people along the journey of life, that number one, in those days, they didn't walk alone. They always walked in pairs of two or with three or four because it was an unsafe to travel alone. So this was 
language that his audience would clearly understand that as we walk together, we're not walking alone. We're walking with others. And so as we're doing life, there's going to come points where along the journey, you're going to walk 15 to 20 miles in a day, and and you may not reach your destination in one day. And so somewhere along the way, you're going to have to stop and you're going to have to rest and sleep. So many times in those days, there wasn't hotels, there wasn't places you could stop and sleep. And so they would stop along the road, find a place, and kind of bed down for the night. And so as you're walking together along life, what he's talking about is there are going to be moments in the middle of winter where it is bitter cold and it is dark, and that you're going to want someone doing life with you in that moment. That it's going to be so cold. Some of you have heard of this, the idea of a three-dog night. All right, you want to get close together. And so... Here, the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us there's going to be seasons of life where it is so cold and dark that you're going to want your friends to bring you comfort and to bring you peace. And that as you travel together, you're going to take the one, each one of you may have had separate coats or cloaks, and you will scoot close enough together to share warmth, and you're going to share cloaks because you're going to want the comfort that comes. You're going to want the warmth that comes in the midst of the dark winter nights of life. That there are going to be seasons where you're going to have to be vulnerable enough that you're going to have to let your pride down, that you're going to have to let whatever it is aside so that someone can come and offer you the comfort that you need. And remove yourself from the embarrassment. But that is a part of the journey, and that's what a true friend is. Because listen, I love you guys, but it's going to have to be a cold night to let some of you snuggle up against me. But that's what the author says. As in the coldest of nights, your true friends will snuggle close. And together you can get through the winter. Together you can weather the storm. Because on the other side of winter is what? Spring. But you have to get through winter. Through some of those winters, most of those winters, we need friends to comfort us. And to walk alongside of us. The other thing that the author shows us is that there's going to be moments not only that we go through winter, but there's going to be moments where we're actually attacked. That many times that there's a surprise attack that comes and that a true friend, if you've got a friend and you're, you're going along with life and the winters come, but there's also going to be moments where something's going to attack you and that if you're walking alone, you're, you're vulnerable, you're susceptible that if you have a friend that's walking with you and journeying with you, if you have even more than one friend, you're more likely to not only survive the attack, but to, to walk through the attack better on the other end. So the author says it this way, so that one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. You've heard the phrase, I've got your back. That's what this is, is I've, I've got your back. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to defend you. Because see, true friends know our weaknesses. So we've, we've been intimate enough that we've shared, we've been vulnerable, we've been talking about these things. And so you're vulnerable in those moments, and so they know your weaknesses. And so when the attack comes, your friends go and they defend the places where you're most weak, where you're most vulnerable, so that they probably don't have that weakness, and so they can stand in the gap for you and fend off the enemy that you are vulnerable to. And so he continues on. So if two can defend yourselves, what does it say? A cord of three strands. So in other words, three friends is even better than two because three strands is not quickly broken. 
So in our Navy and different places, when they need strong cords, it's going to be a cord of three strands because it's going to pull, it's going to flex, and it's going to go through a lot of tension. It may come to the point of breaking, but will not actually break. And so the author is reminding us that there are going to be moments where we are under heavy attack, and two friends are good, but three friends are even better because you're going to get pulled, you're going to get tossed, and it's going to come to a great tension, and you may feel like at that moment that you want to surrender. You may feel like at that moment that you want to break, but true friends will fight with you and for you so that you can get through that season to the other place. And so for us, the question is, what type of friend are we? Do you have people, four or five, that call you and Think of you as the person that along their journey of life, that you're someone that's doing life with them. Are you someone that's a friend that that whenever life is difficult in a winter season, that you are vulnerable enough, that you are willing to lay down your pride, that you're willing enough to be a friend, to, to literally cozy up in the warm winter months to offer comfort that may not be natural to you. May you be willing to fight the fight that you need to fight so that your friends and you can walk on the other end. Because all of us are on a journey together. And as the author reminds us, the journey of life is best walked, not alone, but in tandem or in groups of three or four or five that we experience the fullness of friendship. We experience the fullness of of walking of life together. And, and let's, let's be honest, along the journey, there's going to be times where we do have great friends and they're going to come and go at times because we move or because life situations happen and, and different things, but that we're constantly a person that's seeking to have deep, intimate, accountable, life-giving relationships with other people because we know that along the journey there are going to be dark winter nights. We know that along the journey there's going to be surprise attacks. We know along the journey that life is going to happen. And are we the type of friend to those around us that we would be able to receive and return the type of friendship that we want? Everybody knows your name, but does everybody really know you? We're a culture that's easily distracted, easily put aside, and we're so quick to filter and to hold here. But to live a life to the fullest experience is to experience friendship like this and to know that someone's got your back and someone is willing to comfort you even in what this seemingly uncomfortable situations. Will you be that type of friend? Let's pray together. Dearly Father, I thank you that I've had those type of friends in my life, and I have those type of friends in my life. Thank you that you've given me the privilege and responsibility and the honor of being that type of friend in the past and current. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they are that type of friend and they have those type of friends. And if not, that Father, that today that that be the journey of walking out of this place and asking that question, Father, how can I be that type of friend? Who do I need to be that type of friend to? Father, may we not settle 
for friendships that are casual, but, Father, to seek true, deep friendships with each other, but also with you. Father, we love you. We thank you for our friends that you've given us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.